Gracious God, we come to you because we know you are gracious. And so we call you that. That you give to us way beyond what we deserve. That Lord, your heart is full of love for us. More than we can know. More than we're willing even to embrace and understand. But, but out of that love, God, you give to us richly. You provide for us everything that we need and more. Or we, we think of Thanksgiving Sunday and, and we think historically of bringing in the crop and the way you provide for is the food that we need. We thank you, Lord, for everything that, uh, everything that you give to us, our provision. Thank you for the farmers in our congregation and beyond in this community who have worked so hard to produce the crop. Lord, we thank you for giving life to that crop, and maturing it and having it end up on our tables this weekend as, as we will feast together with joy. Our Father, we, we come to you because we know ultimately all good things come from the Father of lights, so Scripture says, and that everything that we have that is good is a gift from you. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our families. We thank you, Lord, for the love that we know from them. We thank you for our friends. We thank you for our church family, Lord. What a blessing it is to be part of a greater community of people who are united and who love one another. God, we thank you that we can come before you because we are your children, not because of anything we have done, but because of the work of Christ on the cross. For there, Lord, he, he gave up everything to die that he might take to himself the sin of the world, that we ultimately might come to you um, in confession of our sin and might have entry into relationship with you. He has reconciled us to you, our God, so that we now can call you Father and you call us your children. And we thank you, Lord, that we now know you. We have a relationship with you that is life-transforming and real. Um, times such as this where we sit in your presence and we know your presence. And as you love us in so many ways, so we love you in return. We praise you with the songs that we have sung. We honor you as we will listen to your word preached and then go from here in faith to obey it because we recognize you as our God. Lord, we are the ones who are blessed with the faith that can take the words of this book and receive them by faith and know that they will bring us life and nothing else. Lord, we are a blessed people, those of us who are yours, those of us who claim the name of Jesus, those of us who have become his followers, those of us who not only believe in him but love him deeply and who are committed to him and to his cause. Um, Lord, in all these ways and so many more, we come before you today and we thank you and we do so in the recognition, Lord, that all of these things come to us uh, out of love from you. You are good. You are good to us, God. And as we have sung, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Um, we are blessed. Lord, as we continue with you, um, as we look into Scripture, as I seek to teach its truths, I pray that you will enable me, as you have so many times in the past. I pray that 
Holy Spirit, you will take these words and bring them to life for those who listen, whether they're at home or whether they are gathered here. Um, Lord, we want to know you. We want to experience your presence, the power of your word, your life-giving word to us. We want to leave this place, Lord, uh, as people who have been drawn close to you again, as people who have heard from you, as people who have been reminded of how good you are, as people who are ready to serve you with their whole lives. So we pray, our God, for another blessing now. Um, Bless this time as we seek you, as we seek your word for us. These things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we are in a series, uh, as some of you, most of you will know, now all of you know, entitled Not a Fan. It's, it's, a, it's a, a series, yes, kids may go, yeah, out of here, go have fun. Um, it's a series which really is asking us to think about something that we might not often think about. Uh, and that is, what is our relationship with Jesus? How do we define it? What is, it, what is it? How do we characterize it? And the material brings us the reality that, that we're either fans or we're followers. And I really hope over these weeks, both through Sunday morning times and also in your life groups, for those of you who are meeting in life groups, that you're really beginning to, um, if you would objectively evaluate your relationship with Jesus. Because, of course, it can be very different for different people. Uh, We look into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and we see the life of Jesus, and we see him in relationship with different people in very different ways. Um, Think about his relationship, I was thinking today, of the rich young ruler. Now, there was a young guy who came to Jesus and said, how do I inherit eternal life? question was good. But he heard the answer of Jesus, and then he walked away. What kind of a relationship is that? I guess I thought, you know, fairly it could be characterized as casual. You know, I mean, other things were more important to him than his relationship with Jesus. I thought about Mary, the mother of Jesus. What a powerful relationship that is, mother to son, son to mother. I thought about Mary, the woman who sat at the feet of Jesus listening to his words. She was hungry to learn what he had to say. He wanted to know about the kingdom. She wanted to know about the kingdom of God. She wanted to know what this whole new reality was that Jesus was bringing into the world and how to be a part of it. There were people who were named disciples, 12, but of course others. And I thought their relationship was one of imitator. You know, they literally followed around after Jesus. Wherever he went, they went. Literally. And the whole intention of a disciple to rabbi was to become like the rabbi. How he thought, uh, what he desired, um, how he acted. They were to be his imitators, to become like him. And then there were the antagonists. If you thought about those people, the Pharisees. You know, Jesus bashed heads with people. Um, and he was really strong with them, but they were strong with him. And uh, they didn't buy in. And then think about the chief priests at the time of his arrest, and then Herod, the king of the Jews, and then Pilate. Pilate maybe was a little less of an antagonist. He had some maybe sympathy in his heart or something for Jesus, but in the end, he crucified him. Or people are wholly opposed to Jesus. These relationships and numerous others are presented for us. The question for us is, what is our relationship with Jesus? What does it look like? How would you define it? What is it? We're going to go to the story of, uh, 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 of a, a 
man named Simon the Pharisee. Luke chapter 7 today. And a woman who, uh, the two of them are contrasted in this story. The, the context is this. Uh, in the Jewish culture, some of you might know when you invited someone into your home and Simon invited Jesus into his home, normally for an honored guest you would do three things. The most commonly known of these things is you would wash their feet. Smelly, dirty desert culture, if you would, and that's a way to honor your guests. There's, there was also the uh, kiss on the cheek, and there is anointing with oil. Even if it's one drop of oil, you would be making a statement by doing these things. Now, you, what we're going to read in the story is Jesus did none of them, and that in itself was a very significant statement. All right? So let's go to that, and we're going to read from Luke chapter 7 and from um, verse 36 to 50. It says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. As she did so, I should say, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil in my head, but she has poured perfume in my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And you see the significance, I hope, of what Simon the Pharisee did not do. And I hope you begin to see, even in the reading of the story, the significance of what this sinful woman did do. Um, she was one who, who was so moved by, by what Jesus had done that she wept in his presence. She was someone who so cared for him that she wouldn't leave his feet unwashed. She washed them with her tears and with her hair. Think about it. Think of what, where her face was. She was someone who wouldn't let him go without that kiss which would honor him and uh, she kissed his feet. And she was someone who wouldn't let him go without the anointing that an honored guest deserved. I want to tell you this is a picture of close and intimate relationship. And it's a picture of something that Jesus celebrates. He holds it high. 
He corrects Simon the Pharisee. He points at this sinful woman and says essentially she's getting it right. She's getting it right. I want to talk today about the reality that God wants this close and I'm going to use the word intimate relationship. Some people might find that uncomfortable. I get that. Will you stick with us? And let's unpack this and dig into it and figure out what really is being spoken to. We're going to step away from the story of, of the woman and the Pharisee for just a minute. And I'm going to talk to you about how God repeatedly in Scripture is described as knowing us intimately. His relationship with us is intimate. It is personal. It is incredibly close. We're going to go to Genesis 4, verse 1. It says this. This is obviously the part of the story of Adam and Eve in, in the earliest uh, accounts. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice that third word, Adam knew Eve. Other translations say she ha- he had sexual relations with her or something to that effect. You know what is being described. Others even say he made love to her. I think the NIV says that. But what really is being described in that word is of incredible significance. It is the word yada in Hebrew. I don't often tell you the words I'm going to define for you, but I do today for interesting reason. You know how you might hear people uh, in discussion talk about yada, yada, yada? In other words, empty, nonsensical talk, yada, yada, yada. That was introduced, I discovered, a couple of generations ago by a comedian and that has absolutely no rev- uh, relevance to the meaning of this Hebrew word in Scripture. None. As a matter of fact, it's something quite different. And what this word yada, Adam yadad his wife, if you want to put it that way. What it, what it means essentially is that um, he had not just a factual knowledge of her, not just a, a, a knowledge that, 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 that uh, others might know, but he had this deep, intimate knowledge that came from being with his wife, that experience of intimacy through the, through the sacredness of sexual intimacy. He knew her at all different, in all different ways. This is a deep and profound knowing versus just factual knowledge. Um, there's somebody, a scholar, who has essentially defined this as the mingling of souls. If you want a very, very brief Theology of sexuality, biblically speaking, that's it. That's what we believe physical intimacy is. Between a husband and wife, the mingling of souls that comes through this deep and profound and intimate knowledge. A definition, very simple. To know and to be known. To know and to be known. Um, this is not referencing... Uh, sexuality for the sake of proc- procreation, having children. Another Hebrew word could have been used, it wasn't. It's not about pleasure. Another Hebrew word could have been used for that. It wasn't. It's yada. It is this deep knowing of one person or another. And what I want you to know is that all through Scripture, God, it is said, knows us in this fashion. I'm going to read to you Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4. In the NLT, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know me, everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away. You see me when I travel you and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. 
Now, not every one of those words translated no in English is yada, but two of them are. And what, what the text is saying is, God, you know me intimately, powerfully, personally, deeply. This is the same chapter that talks about God knitting us together in our mother's wombs. Now think about it a minute. When each of you, and when I was in my mother's womb and you were in yours, God was there. God gave you life, and he formed you actively by the work of his hands, if you would. God knew you that intimately before you knew anything. Before your mother knew you and before your father knew you, God knew you. And he formed you to be the person that you are. Isn't that amazing? Is it any surprise that he knows us that deeply and intimately today? See, my friends, this is the reality that, that, that Scripture brings to us. And as God knows us, so he wants us to know him personally, it, intimately. He wants us to, experiencing, to experience yada toward him. He wants us to have this mingling of souls with him, without any of the sexual connotations, of course. But that reality which comes in deep knowing. Now, some people listening today, whether you're here at home, might not be close to God. You know, there might be people who are antagonists toward Jesus, particularly, beginning to focus in on this story again. You know, Simon kind of was an antagonist. Many other Pharisees were. There might be people who would say, I'm not interested in Christ. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm going to refuse his rule in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm not with him. Others, maybe not so antagonistic, but haven't even yet entered into a relationship with Jesus. So you can hardly know an intimate relationship if you don't have a relationship. Of course, the first step in the journey toward intimacy with Christ is receiving him into your life as Lord, as King, as leader, as the authority of your life, as the one who you will follow with all of your heart. And I would encourage that. Move toward that if, if you're not there yet. But then there are others here listening, I'm sure, who are in relationship with Jesus, but they don't have yada with him. They don't know him like that. Um... Some might have a casual relationship, you know. I've accepted Christ, and I know he's forgiven my sin, and I know I'm in relationship with him, but he's kind of over there, and I'm here, and I'm glad he's in my life, but kind of a little bit of a distance. Um, people, others, could, might, could be very easily more distant than that. But it's not yada, right? It's not intimacy. It's not connectedness. It's not a profound knowing. And I want to suggest for any of you who are in relationship and who aren't close, this sermon's for you. I'm asking you to identify whether this is so as part of our fan and follower dynamic. Now I want to tell you right off the, the top here, uh, to know Christ like this requires risk. You can't, you can't be in a relationship with anybody in this sort of way, a relationship of love without opening your soul to someone, without revealing yourself to someone. And making yourself vulnerable. You see, when we enter into that kind of a relationship, even in the human realm, as we open up ourselves to someone else, the potential is there that we will be rejected, that trust will be broken, that we will be hurt. And I've got to tell you, it's the same with, with Jesus. 
But I want to read a couple of verses from Psalm 139, the psalm I just read from a little while ago. David wrote it, but this time verse, read verses 23 and 24. Listen to this statement by David, King David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. My friends, I want to tell you the only way David could write this verse willingly and honestly and with real intention was because he knew that God was trustworthy. He'd been through the mill in life and he had come to know who God was. So he was able to say, God, I'm an open book. Look at me. Identify areas of my life that need to be changed. So we have to grow in a knowledge. It's a process of coming to that place where we trust Christ enough to enter into this deep, intimate knowing. But the point is this. God knows us, and God wants us to know him in the same way. Now, back to Luke chapter 7. Sinful woman is doing these things before Jesus. The New American Standard Bible, which is a very little translation of the Bible, says an immoral woman. Likely she was a prostitute. Um... Why did she do what she did? Why would she come in, in that context, sit at the feet of Jesus, be so moved that she's in tears, uses her hair to wipe his feet, kisses his feet and anoints him with this perfume that would have had expense attached to it? Well... I want to tell you, she had that intimacy and relationship out of an intimate knowledge of Christ. Verse 47 says this. I'll read it to you again. Therefore, Jesus is speaking, I tell you, uh, Simon, her sins have been forgiven. Note it, have been forgiven as, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see, this woman has already experienced the forgiveness of Christ. She has already discovered him to be a Lord who is gracious and incredibly merciful and accepting and forgiving. And above all, she's recognized that he is love. He is love incarnate. And what she is doing is a response to what Jesus has done for her. And it brings her to tears. It moves her to do what she does. Here's my point today. If you've fallen asleep to this point and want to fall asleep after it, you can. But here it is. Fans choose a factual knowledge of Jesus. They want to know more about him. They want to fill their heads with that kind of knowledge. Followers embrace intimacy with him. I want us to think for a minute. Where's our church at? How would you evaluate IPC in terms of yada? Intimate relationship with Christ. Being like that woman. How are we doing? See, if it's all about facts, biblical truth, as important as biblical truth is, according to Jesus, it's not enough. It's a good start, but it's not enough. Now, think about our life groups. And for those of you who may not know, they're the groups that meet mostly in homes through the week, and they are dealing with the same material that we're dealing with right now on a Sunday morning. Why do you get together in those groups if you do indeed do that? Is it, is it to fill your heads full of factual knowledge, biblical knowledge, cram your heads full with more 
understanding of what the Bible has to say? Or is it to experience the presence of the living Christ? Speaking into you as a group, into you, your mind as an individual. So that you might know him and that you might experience his love in profound ways. Is that your experience of life group, people? What about the idea of this sermon? Why do you come to listen to sermons on a Sunday morning? Maybe it's not why you come, but (laughs) maybe it's one of the reasons you come. Is it to gain more biblical knowledge? Facts about Christ, about God, about this life? And I want to say at the beginning of the journey, that's especially where facts are important. You've got to get the content of Bible before you can get to the intimacy of Jesus. But let me tell you, if you come here and you have moved beyond that early stage of following Jesus, and it's all about facts and biblical truth, something really missing. Because Jesus wants to take those biblical truths and through them move you into a deep, personal, yes, intimate relationship with Him. How about praise? You know, we stand up and we sing these songs to God. I want to tell you, uh, it just continues to strike me profoundly that God has given us this capacity to sing. This, this capacity that more than anything else allows us to express our deepest heart to God. You know, I, I quoted it already. That, that phrase that we sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Honestly, were you just singing words? Or were you crying out from the core of your being, worthy are you, Lord Jesus, for you were willing to die on the cross for my sin. Were you moved? And to use the text as an example, were you moved to tears? It's possible, you know. You know, we, we have a, a, a worship leader, Jeff, and there's a song that we sing. I, you know, I don't, maybe I shouldn't point this out. I've never talked to him about it. But I know there's a song that we sing that he has trouble getting through almost every time. And what he does when he starts to choke up is he turns around and he plays. And then he turns around and again he sings. Because it's so... Ooh. It so moves him. <laughs> it so moves him that he, he's brought to tears with the knowledge of what his Jesus has done for him. Did you hear the, the, the letter that he wrote? My Jesus, he said. Did you hear the intimacy of it? I didn't know he was going to do that. Wherever you are, Jeff, good job. My friends, when you sing, let it be yada. Hey, how about this one? When we're at home raising our kids, a lot of young families in our church. That's why we got to get this children's ministry thing moving so we can get those young families back. Those children need to know of Jesus. They need the training. They need the instruction. They need the facts. And they need more. And so do their parents. But listen, when you're training your kids at home, what's the focus on? Teaching them biblical truth? Or helping them to experience the present and living Jesus? You know, Applying the, you know, applying the biblical truths that are discovered is really, really important. This is what the text says. How can we do that as a family? And then helping kids to realize that when we step into what God calls us to, to his loving will for us, this just makes all the sense in the world. This is an amazing way to live our lives. This is good, right, kids? 
is prayer um, an experience where you, with, in an age-appropriate way, let your kids know what you as a family need or you as an individual need or identify what they need, and then you pray about it together, and then you as parents help identify those, to those kids the answers to prayer that the Lord brings so that they go back, stand back even as little kids and go, wow, that's amazing. They're moving toward yada, right? When you pray with them, is it a one-way conversation? Or is there any listening prayer going on? We talked about that, I believe, this past summer, sometime recently. <laughs> Where you teach your kids to sit in silence just for a little while and hear the Spirit of God whisper into their minds and hearts. They're probably way better at it than us, by the way. You know, I, was, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and Eugene Peterson was being described. He's a uh, He's passed away now recently. He was a Presbyterian pastor, but a man who had profound effect in the Christian church. Um, he wrote the message, the paraphrase of the Bible that is so, so uh, widely read now in 30 other books. Brilliant man. But you know what, what he said? I didn't know this, but he said, uh, prayer is talking back to God because all prayer is initiated by God. It's profound, isn't it? It's God who initiates prayer. All we do is hear and then respond. Teach your kids that. See, what I want to say is knowledge is good. It's foundational to everything else. But the Lord Jesus wants us to build on that knowledge, that factual knowledge, so that it moves us toward a greater intimate knowledge of him. You know, look at the Pharisee. He was a good man. Sometimes we hammer the Pharisees too much. I mean, they were seeking to honor God to the extent that they could. They were people who upheld the moral standard of Scripture, plus a whole lot more, but at least they upheld the moral standard of Scripture. They were helping people know what the Old Testament had to say. And he did invite Jesus into his home, I assume, to get to know him at some level. But listen to me, he didn't have what this woman had. She opened her heart to Jesus, right? She expressed her love to Jesus in intimate ways. The tears which flowed. The incredible gratitude. Here we are Thanksgiving Day. My friends, here is Thanksgiving, profoundly expressed in the presence of Christ. She was honoring him where Jesus had not been honored and deserved to be honored. And she was close to him. Even physically there's an intimacy that's there, right? But she was close to him in other ways. You see, this all just flowed from her heart to his. And he loved it. He celebrated it. You know what I want to suggest, my friends, what I am doing today, what I hope the Holy Spirit is applying to your minds and to your hearts intimately? <laughs> so we can do the same thing. We can live this way. In our worship, in our prayer life, in our, in our spending time in Jesus' presence. You know, so many people, I, I, I think, when they're encouraged to spend time with Jesus alone, think, oh, you know, I've got other things I want to do, and things are pressing, and, you know, that's not something that's all that attractive to me. It's almost like I'd rather watch the Leafs than do that, or I'd la rather go for a walk than do that, or I'd rather... And it, there's something, it's like, <laughs> Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, 
and I will give you peace, and I will give you joy, and I will give you meaning, and I will give you purpose. Come to me, and you will find life. Come to me. Let's mingle our souls. Let's enjoy one another. See, this is, this is Christianity, right? The rest is religion. It's following the rules. It's, it's just marching through the, the process that we're told to march through. But this is the heart of it. Intimacy with Christ by His Spirit. You know, we can read Scripture and we can hear His voice. Here's where the prayer starts, right? You hear the voice, then you respond. We can honor Jesus by obeying Him. Unlike the Pharisee who refused to honor Jesus, this woman honored him. We can honor him by saying, Lord, you've spoken. And because you've spoken, I will put you first in my life. And I'm going to do what you tell me to do. We can be in prayer in this two-way conversation. We can be grateful. How would you show these things in your life if you had the opportunity? Today? See, God knows us intimately. It's kind of like whether we like it or not, he does, because he's God. You're probably okay with that. You get it. It makes sense. The question is whether we will embrace this kind of intimate relationship with Jesus. Actively embrace it. That woman walked in, sat at his feet, washed his feet, kissed his feet, and anointed his feet. Intentionality. Because she longed to. I want to tell you this. Our sins are no less than this woman's sins in the eyes of God. You know that? And if you have been forgiven, and I know many of you have, there is reason for us to weep at the feet of Jesus for what he has done for us. For he has forgiven us our sin. And we can respond to him with tears, with commitment, with honoring of him, with love. And I guess I want to wrap up by asking the question, how can each of us do that in our own lives? I'm going to give you a minute of silence with God. And I want you to search your heart. I want you to be open to the Holy Spirit speaking into your life. Listen. And then I'd love you to go away from here to then do. Not because you have to. Not because somebody's kind of imposing something upon you, but there's something in your heart. It rises up within you as it rose up within this woman's heart. You just want to love and be grateful to and honor Jesus. Listen to me. Fans are all about factual knowledge. Gaining factual knowledge about Jesus. Followers embrace intimate relationship with him. We get to choose that. What will you choose? Let's pray. Just with your heads bowed for a minute, I'm, I'm going to give you that moment of silence with with Jesus. But I want you to think of the woman in in the silence and I want you to think essentially, what can I do? 
Lord. Ask him the question. And then wait for him to speak. Lord, here is now, as each of us in, in this place of silence come before you. Speak into our minds and into our hearts, whether it be through a word or a picture, a song. Lord, just come by your Holy Spirit and lead us into that intimate relationship with you.